Father, I've got no doubt in my mind that your word is anointed. The Bible says that your word is in inspiration. It is breathed by you. So even if I just read the word this morning, it is anointed. And that is why if I pray that, that man stand on the word of God. Because that's the standard. It's your word, breathed by you. Amen. Amen. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Who of you has ever quoted this verse? Who's quoted this verse in their, in their lives? For we walk by faith and not by sight. I see this verse coming so many times up in flyers. Have you seen it? Churches stand on it. They say, for we walk by faith. We don't walk by what we see. Whatever we do is by faith. I've heard so many times people in difficult situations pray this verse. You? Have you heard that? I've even had a man once who said, he was trying to buy a car. And he came to me and he said, oh, please pray that the bank approve the car. For pastor, we walk by faith and not by sight. Just stand on faith. So I started probing into why he's buying this car. And he turned out he's extending himself a little bit beyond his comfort. Oh, but we stand by faith and not by sight. And I'm praying, if the bank allows it, it must be the will of God. Yes? How can you deny the bank manager not being in the will of God? For we stand by faith, not by sight. So many people quote this verse over and over again. I, we've had it in, on our flyer in, in New Zealand. It was our verse that we stood upon. For we walk by faith. Walk is an action. Sight is something you do with your eyes. So do you really know what this verse means? Have you got the understanding what Paul was saying when he penned down these words by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? You see, for I want to tell you this morning, if you do not understand what Paul was insinuating, then you cannot just use that scripture verse flippantly. You've got to understand what it means. Because if you truly understand what it means, it will give you way more joy than just a few words on a piece of paper, or just a new car, or just a new home, or just a great relationship. If you understand what Paul was saying by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, then it will change your life if you understand these words. And hopefully today, if I'm going to put it back into context, because I believe we need to read the word in context. Is that what you believe? It's dangerous if we take it out of context. So we have to put it back into context. And now we need to understand what was Paul all about. And then after that, I'm going to give you four tests of faith. You say you're walking by faith. I'm going to give you four tests this morning. And then I'm going to give you four illustrations. So I want you to open up in your Bibles in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We find this verse in verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Is that underlined in your Bible? Yes. Who's got it underlined? Can I see? You see, that proves to me that you've already put it to memory and you've already used it somewhere in your Christian walk. But for this to go into context, we need to go back to the beginning of this chapter. In fact, we need to go a little bit further back and to understand it. I want you to look at chapter 4, verse 16. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Who feels like that? That. Who feels that the outward man is perishing day by day? I mean, I'm, I'm approaching 50. I can't believe it. I'm approaching 50 and I can start feeling it in my knees. <laughs> oh, there's a few people that say, you know nothing about 
fulfilling how the outward one is perishing day by day. But this is where Paul starts. He starts with this old body. This is his train of thought here. He says in verse 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I would love to have Paul here this morning to talk to you ladies. He says it's a light affliction. Man, when somebody gets out of the bed in the morning, it's not a light affliction. It's a mission, yes? For some people it's a mission just to get out of bed. Obviously he was also talking about the afflictions of life, which my brother mentioned this morning, which Colm mentioned this morning. So he continues on in verse 18. He says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Who loves beautiful cars? <laughs> he says those things are not eternal, they are only temporal. And you wash it every single weekend to look beautiful. That's good, I'm not saying you shouldn't wash it. I'm not standing here and saying, thou shalt not wash your car because it's a sin. I'm not saying that. But you see where he's going here. He's talking about things which we can see and things which we cannot see. He's starting to lay a foundation for this whole principle in the next chapter. In fact, chapter divisions came on later. It's not as if Paul was writing down and said, now I'm going to write chapter 5. No, no. He just kept on pinning it down. And then he comes to this verse now. He says in chapter 5 verse 1, For we know that your earthly house, our earthly house, talking about the body. He says our earthly house, this tent. He says that you and I are living in a tent. Wow. I, I've been camping in my life and if, if the wind blows and you're inside of a tent, man, it feels as if the whole thing's going to blow away. Sometimes in this life, with the circumstances of life, it feels as if this tent is going to blow away, yes? He says we are just living in a tent, so that means it's temporal. I'm not living in a tent anymore. I'm living in a house. The wind can blow now, but it's brick and stone. He, but he's laying the foundation still. He says he's destroyed. We have a building from God. And you should shout hallelujah right now. Hallelujah. We've got a building. You see the difference between a tent and a building. There's a vast difference there. He says we've got a building from God. A house not made of hands. Eternal in heavens. I've got so many scripture verses, but if you want to write down next to that one, go and read 1 Peter chapter 1 from verse 1 to verse 10, and he will tell you the security we have in heaven. And it's guarded by God. For this, in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. He says, I groan to be clothed from my habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. You see, he's still laying down that foundation. He's talking about the unseen versus the seen. We are walking in the scene. You touch your body. He's talking about the stained body here. We're still putting this verse back into context. Verse 4, for we, for we who are in this tent groan. Is that you? Come on, you can be honest. You're amongst brothers and sisters. You groan. Being burdened. Those are the things we can see. I can see the affliction. I, I see it on people's faces. Oh, I saw it when I came in here this morning. There's people in this place who's been afflicted. You can put on that mask. You can smile as much as you want to. But if I look in your eyes, and I've got no special powers, but this is it. The eyes are the windows of the soul. People groan and been afflicted. This is what Paul's talking about. You see, that verse has got so much more weight. He says, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed with morality may be swallowed up by life now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God praise the Lord 
who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Have you got the Holy Spirit in you? That's your guarantee. He's given you a guarantee. Let the world go astray. He's given us something to hold on to. It's called the Holy Spirit. And it's living inside of us. Jesus turned to His disciples. There in John chapter 14, verse 16, He turned to His disciples. He says, I'm going to pray the Father and He's going to send you another comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will be with you and in you forever. Him you know. My question always when I come to that verse is, do you know Him? Or is He just a, a force or a wind? No, He's a person. You see where Paul is going with this? He's laying a foundation here. He's man like you and me. Just as my Lord is a man like you and me when He came to this earth. He says, this is the guarantee. And now, we go to verse 6, he says, So we are always confident. Oh, I love the confidence of a child of God. I love the confidence in difficult times. A child of God is confident. Paul is confident. And he, he goes on to say, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, Look, this is now going to set it up for that verse. While we're at home in the body, I want everyone to touch your body. Is it still there? Oh, you've got a big problem if it's not there. He says, while we're in home at this tent, in this body, while we're in home with this. What then, Paul? At home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Is that true? Yes, it's true. Here you sit. I mean, I don't have to come down here and touch you to see that you're here. I know you're here. He says, while we are absent in this body, or we're in this body, we are absent from the Lord. Now, he uses our verse. You see? Now, he says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. What did he just do? He just said to you, this is not all that there is. This life in this body is not all that there is. Your problems you're going through is not all that there is. He says there is hope. He says there's something that you cannot see. You remember the previous chapter, the last few verses, the unseen? He says, though you cannot see that now, I'm telling you, we walk by faith and not by sight. You don't have to see it to believe it. You see where the verse fits in perfectly. You cannot pull this verse out and use it for whatever you want to use it. You need to stand in that verse in context. And I told you when I started that if you understand the verse properly, you're going to be more excited than just to use the verse flippantly. Didn't I? And here it is. For we are confident. He uses that word twice. Have you seen that? Oh, he was a man of confidence. Are you a, are you a man of confidence? <laughs> I, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm pointing at Sheehan, who's a woman, and I go, are you a man of confidence? That's the wrong one. Are you a woman of confidence? And what is your confidence? He's laid it down for us. He says, yes well pleased rather than to be absent from the body hey wait a minute Paul you are still standing in your body yes I know but I'm confident he says he says rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord have you seen how he just flipped the two around somebody asked me say why are you getting so excited about the word and I say why not <laughs> It's the best book that you can ever read. And if you start reading it with the Spirit of God that directs your footpaths, he will, he will quicken your mortal body. Therefore, we make it our aim. What is our aim now that we understand this? We make it our aim, whether present or absent, whether present in the body or absent in the body, to be well-pleasing to Him. Hence, we walk by faith. If you want to be well-pleasing to the Lord, what do you do? You walk by faith. 
You see, you need faith to be born again. If you are not born again, you cannot be well-pleasing to God. Can I say that again? I, I'm not going to ask. I'm going to say it again. If you are not born again and blood washed by the blood of the Lamb, sin forgiven, you cannot walk pleasing to the Lord. You can give away your life. You can give away all of your properties. You can jump up and down and shout whatever you want to shout, but you will not be well-pleasing to God. This is our aim. Is this your aim? But how would you then know if you walk by faith? Do you know that you walk by faith? It's a good question, isn't it? If I come down to you and I say, please, here's the mic, tell me how it is to walk by faith. What's your answer going to be? Well, we walk by faith and not by sight. He says, this is our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat of Christ. Each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done. Whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are all well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your confidence. What Paul is saying here is, is that your faith has got a direct correlation with your salvation. Your faith has got a direct correlation with your salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, For we are saved by faith through grace. Yes? That not of yourself. That not of yourself. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Praise the Lord. Have you already learned something this morning? Praise the Lord. Put scripture back into context. Look at verse 36. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 36. I want to start with this verse 35. Because he writes it down. He says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence. Twice he said here, we're standing by confidence. Here the writer says, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God. What is the will of God? That you be saved. That's the will of God. Oh, I, I, I thought the will of God is that I live in Australia. I thought the will of God is that, no, no. The first will of God is that you be saved. The will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming after will, co will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who are drawn back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of our soul. Do you see that? The saving of our soul. The ones who draw back is the people who never come to Christ. You see, that is what it is. This has got a direct correlation with saving faith. This faith. For we walk by this faith. This faith will get you absent from here and present with the Lord. Flick over to 1 Peter. Uh, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Just to lay down more scripture for you. Uh, look, I need to read it from verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you see, what did Paul started writing? He says these things we don't see now. Peter is going down the same thing here. He says, though you haven't seen. Let's, let's continue and see what he says on. He says, though you haven't seen. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. 
Well, I thought that I had to have faith to move a mountain. The first faith is the salvation of your soul. Yes? You see, a Christian life begins with faith and it depends on faith. We are saved by faith. We are blessed by faith. We grow by faith. We discover God's will by faith. And we walk by faith. Yes? Is that you? Faith directs our footsteps. Faith in Him makes us walk where He wants us to walk. And this is what Paul is on about in that verse. For we walk by faith. It's an action. We walk by that and not by sight. Because in this body we are living in a sightful world. And there's so many things that will, will make you afraid and fearful and anxious. But we don't have to be like that. So let's now look at four tests of faith. Four tests of faith. The first test of faith this morning that I want to give to you is, am I doing what I'm doing for the glory of God? Am I doing what I'm doing now for the glory of God? That which I'm going to do tomorrow, am I doing it for the glory of God? Or am I doing it for my glory? Romans chapter 4 verse 18. Paul writes down, he says, Who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what has spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, this is talking about Abraham. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. So the first test of faith is, am I doing this for the glory of God, or is it for my own glory? Paul is dealing with our emotions here. What is our emotions? What is our agenda when we do things in life? Coming to church. And he's dealing with that. Why do you do what you do? Is it for everyone to see or is it for God? Am I standing up here to impress you? And to be honest, I've said it so many times. If I am standing here and preaching to impress you, then I need to run as quickly as I can for that door, get in my car and go home. Because friend, I'm not pre preaching here this morning to impress you. I'm standing before the living God preaching His Word. And he knows the intentions of every single heart. When I go to my workplace tomorrow, I get in my car and I drive down the Monash. I mean the Monash. <laughs> sometimes it is a car park, then I, everybody moans. It's a Monash. And I go to work. Am I working for the glory of God? Or am I trying to make a buck in my pocket to buy more? You see, this touches everything. For we walk by faith. But the first test is for who are you doing it? Who are you doing it for? Is it to have your names written up there in the billboards? And look, you can test everyone now by these tests. Everything done by your own will is not walking in faith. I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. Look at verse, verse 7. Uh, look at verse 6. He says, I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south. Now go down to verse 7. He says, everyone who is called by my name. Are you called by his name? You better believe so. If you are sitting here this morning and proclaim to be a child of God, you are called by His name. He's talking to you and me now, although it's in the Old Testament. He says, whom I have created for my glory. You see? He's created you for His glory, not for your own. I have formed Him. Yes, I have made Him. Isn't that beautiful? 
He's formed you for His glory. And there you were thinking the only reason you were formed is to make, make life, you know, to make it on this earth. No, it's for His glory. And look, God will not give His glory away. In fact, turn the page back. Uh, Ephesians, Isaiah, sorry, chapter 42. Look at verse 8. He says, I am the Lord that is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. He's obviously talking about idolatry. Uh, when Matthew came up here this morning, he says, I pray for that and pray for me uh, to throw the pearls before the swine. Let God decide on that. Because, friend, he will not give his glory away. God says to you, he holds his glory. So whatever we do, the first test of faith, if you want to say I walk by faith, is am I doing what I'm doing for the glory of God? Easy to remember? So the second test is, am I willing to wait? Am I willing to wait? And I think I'm talking now to everybody, including myself. Oh, we are such an impatient people, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> and I thought by now everybody's going to point their fingers to me. <laughs> we all are such an impatient creatures, aren't we? And that's the second test. Look at uh, Romans chapter 10 verse 10. He says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Hold on to that thought. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. How many times have you done something in a rush? And we're put to shame. Oh, come on. Yes, thank you. Yes. I can, I can hold my hand up here the whole time in the sermon now. Just on that one. It'll be difficult to preach like this, but it's all of us. You know, we do th some things in a rush and we put to shame. He quotes an interesting passage here. He actually quotes this from Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16. But if you read Isaiah 28 16, he didn't quote it word for word. Look at this. He says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God. This is God speaking. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. This is what he quoted there in Romans. So if you put the two verses together, he says, and it's a valuable lesson, who he who believes shall not be in a hurry, then he will not be put to shame. Is that true? Look, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you that's true. Because I've experienced it. We have to wait on the Lord. Isaiah chapter 64 verse, verse 4, he says, The Lord will act on behalf of the one who waits upon him. That's my, my uh, uh, translation. But go and read it. Write it down. Acts 64 verse 4. Every so often when I get into a situation and, and, and things need to happen quick, fast, I, I recite that verse. I say, Lord, I'm going to wait now and I'm going to ask you to act on my behalf. You see, the second test is... Am I willing to wait? The first one, am I doing this to the glory of God? And the second one, am I willing to wait? The third test is, is what I do grounded in the Word of God? That's the third test. I mean, you said it. Everybody put up their hands, or most of you said, we walk by faith. But did you test it? You can't say I walk by faith if you haven't tested it. Whatever I'm going to do, is it grounded in the Word of God? <coughs> Romans chapter 10 verse 17, he says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the... Oh, we've got people sleeping this morning. I need to preach louder. <laughs> he says, hearing comes by the... Word of God. The Word of God. Is what you're going to do grounded in the Word of God. Look, the will of God is revealed in the Word of God. You can stand on that one. The will of God is revealed in the Word of God. If you want to know the will of God, read the Word of God. 
You say, but uh, I want to move from one city to another city. Is it going to be written in the Bible? Of course not. Of course not. But if you walk by faith and understand how to walk by faith, you will apply these things and you will know whether you go or not. So the first one, am I doing what I'm doing to the glory of God? Secondly, am I willing to wait? And thirdly, is what I do grounded by the Word of God? And then finally, as I do this, is there joy and peace in my heart? That's the fourth test of faith. When I do what I'm going to do, do I have peace and do I have joy? How many times have you done something and you just don't feel the peace of God? Or the peace. Oh, there's a few people shaking their heads who's honest and truthful. And here I go again. Again, it's this arm. I can't preach like that the whole time. But that's me. So many times we do things and we lose that peace. We lose that joy. We know it's wrong. But we still do it. We still do it. Romans chapter 15 verse 13, he writes this down again, he says, Now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The reward for faith is hope. When you see the word hope, faith is just in front of it. It's like a two race. Hope, faith is always ahead of hope. Go and read at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the, the chapter of love, and it ends that chapter with faith, hope, and love. And the biggest of these, love. Faith is always ahead, and hope follows. When you read hope, you know that faith is involved. We walk by faith and not by sight. But have you tested it? Have you tested it? He says he will fill you with joy and with peace. The fourth, in Colossians he writes the same thing. He says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. To which also you were called in one body and be thankful. I can recall so many stories, but I'm not going to hold it up with my stories. You don't want to hear my stories. You want to hear the Word of God. That's why you came here this morning. But I can remember so many times that I went into a situation and I lost that peace, that referee. You, a lot of you like your sports games. You've got referees and empires, and they blow that whistle. And, and in my life, if that whistle goes out and is silent, then I'm getting worried. So four tests. First, am I doing what I'm doing to the glory of God? Secondly, can I wait? Am I, am I able to wait on the Lord? Third, is it grounded in the Word of God? And fourthly, is there joy and peace in my heart? Now I want to test this at four tests in the Word. I want you to go with me to Genesis chapter 12. Just to apply these four tests to four cases. Genesis chapter 12. How are we doing for time, Colm? Praise the Lord. Anybody got a roast in the oven? We'll pray for you. <laughs> we'll pray that there's a delay on the heat. <laughs> Genesis chapter 12. We find the man Abraham here in verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, who's speaking here? God speaking to Abraham. He says, Gate out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you and all the families on the earth will be blessed. So God spoke to Abraham. He says, Move. Pick up and go. Yes, we flip the page over and we come to verse 10. Now Abraham is coming to this land, this promised land, the land that God said, I will bless you. Didn't God say that? He gave him a promise. I will bless you. I will look after you. Abraham, we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, you walk in this earthly body with this, this vessel, this tent vessel, as Paul said. But don't keep your eyes on that. Keep your eyes on the heavenly city. Now we find him here in verse 10. 
He comes into this land and he says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close entering Egypt, he turned to Sarai and he says, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you alive. I know you know the story. You know what's happening. So they get into this place and it's true to his word. They saw us. He's a beautiful and they take her as the pharaohs and he gave her up as his sister. And then what happened? God struck them. He struck them with a disease. And they turn out to find out that Abraham, you see, was his wife. So let's test this now to our four tests. First of all, when we look at his life, did he do this for the glory of God? When he moved away in verse 10? No. In verse 10 he was looking after himself. I'm going to die. Wait a minute, God promised you he's going to bless you he should have stayed but he's now looking after himself that was not for God's glory that he went down he didn't stand up and say to his wife hey let's go down to Egypt for the glory of God no he was looking after himself was he willing to wait no he says let's get out of here look there's nothing growing here let's go was it grounded in the word of God no he listened to himself he listened to his belly. He listened to his anxiousness. He listened to his thoughts. He said, I'm going to perish here. Let's go. Did he have joy and peace in his heart? No. When I read further on, this misery. He was caught out. He was put to shame by heathens. You know, I'm sometimes ashamed for what Christians do and they are put ashamed by the world. Just because they didn't operate in faith. So here we see a man who was failing the test of faith. He didn't do it for the glory of God. He didn't wait for God. He wasn't grounded in the word of God. It's nowhere there that I read that God says, Now, oops, Abraham, I made a little bit of a mistake here. Oops. Now, let's go down to Egypt. Egypt represents the world, represents sin. He got really bad things out of Egypt. Hagar came from Egypt. A lot of bad things. And then he lost his joy and his peace. But one would think he would have learned the lesson, yes? No. Let's continue on and turn over to chapter 16. Whole of chapter 15 God appeared again to him. He says, man, I'm going to make you a great nation. You, you know the story again. He says, I'm going to give you a son. He looks at himself and he says, I'm an old man. Sarah is an old woman. How can you do this, Lord? Time go past. And what happens now? Look at chapter 16. Now Sarah, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, See now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heed the voice of Sarah. Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Agar a maid, an Egyptian, and gave it to her husband Abram to be his wife after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarah said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. What? This was your plan. Can you sometimes see the irony in this? And then I gave my mate into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me, and we see that Abram said, you can put her out of the camp. Now let's put our test again to this. Was what Abram did to the glory of God? No, this time he listened to his wife. It was to the glory of his wife. Husbands, be careful. Oh, there's a quietness now. Wives, be careful. It cuts both ways. Did he do it for the glory of God? No, he didn't. Did he wait for God? No, they became impatient. Where's the child? I'm barren. They made their own plans. 
Was this grounded in the Word of God? Do we read anywhere there that the Lord said, Oh, Abraham, sorry I made a mistake. Oops. Let's go with your wife. I've given her a word of wisdom. Watch out for word of wisdoms. <laughs> Tested by the Word. Was this giving him joy and peace? Oh, no. Oh, no, there was trouble. There was lots of trouble. One wife can give a lot of trouble, but two gave double. And not only that, the children, when Isaac came in, there was a despisement there. We can't blame it on Sarah here. No, I blame it on Abraham. He didn't do it for the glory of God. He didn't wait on God. He didn't wait on the Word of God. It's not grounded in the Word of God. And he lost his peace. Now let's go to a New Testament one quickly. Jump over to Acts chapter 27. Acts 27. We find in 27 Rome, uh, uh, Paul is on his way back to Rome and he's boarding a ship now. And as he bought the ship, he comes down to verse 9 and they came to an island. In fact, let's read in chapter 27 7 verse 5. And when he had sailed over the sea which is of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lucia. There the, certain, uh, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy and he put us on board. It was a grain ship. A heavy ship. When he had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficult of Nippus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete of Salomon. Passing it was difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. So they boarded there. Now when much time has been spent and sailing was now dangerous, read this, because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. And if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, open towards the southwest and northwest and winter there. Now follow. Verse 13. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close to Crete, but not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Irukishion, that is a typhoon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of the island called Claudia, we, we cured the skiff with difficulty. And they were shipwrecked later on. Now let's test this now here. We've got a man of faith on that boat. His name is Paul. And he said to them, the word of God came to him, a word of knowledge. He says, men, I perceive we shall not go. We should not go. It's not, it, it's not uh, safe for us to go. It's dangerous. Did they listen to him? Let's put the centurion through this test of faith. What he was going to do, was that for the glory of God? No. It was for their own glory. That little harbor where they were enclosed in, they said, it's not nice to stay here. There's not all the attractions which we can get in a bigger harbor. It's not for your comfort. Let's do this for your own glory. Let's go to the next harbor. Were they willing to wait? No. Were they acting on the word of God? No. Paul gave them the word. They didn't act on that. And then finally, did they have peace and joy? No, they just came out by the, the skin of their teeth. Is that said right? Yeah, I think I said that right. I've got my own ism sometimes with these say, saying things. So here we've got three examples of people who clearly... They could have stood here this morning. I mean, if I had Abraham standing here this morning and I said, Can you perceive this man as a man of faith? Everybody would have said yes. And if Abram stood here this morning and he said, Look, I walk by faith and not by sight, you would have believed him. But there you go. The centurion, if he was standing here this morning, he would have said the same four things I failed. I want to give you one more example. 
And this time I want to go to our Lord Jesus Christ. Follow with me now to John. John chapter 11. And again, you know this passage very well. We find here a man by the uh, name of Lazarus. And a word came to him. Uh, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus in Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. That's an urgent cry. Would you agree? He was to the point of death. When Jesus heard that, what did he say? He said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. You see that? What is your first test? How are you doing for the glory of God? Jesus didn't even go now and he says, this is not to death, this is for the glory of God. That the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 6. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in that place where he was. He stayed two more days. And you know, we look at that and we go, what's, what's wrong? You love this man. Why don't you go immediately? He stayed two more days. Then after this, after the two days, he says, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples goes into a discussion with him. So verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. So Lazarus is dead. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles. Verse 21, now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But you see, dear friends, Martha is walking by sight. She didn't have her eyes on that heavenly city. She didn't understand that faith. And we turn over now to verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, through, uh, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives he shall, uh, in me shall never die. Do you believe this? As he said to him, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And then what happens? He comes up to the tomb. He says, roll back the stone. And he called Lazarus into life. He resurrected him. Or let's, let's say he, he resuscitated him. You know, he brought him back again. Look at verse 40. Uh, let's read from verse 38. Then Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb. It was the cave. The stone lay against it. He says, take away the stone. Martha, Martha did this. Verse 40. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Didn't I say this? Let's put the four test to Jesus. That what he was doing was this for the glory of God? No denying in that. Absolutely not. Was he willing to wait? He waited two days. And he was four days late. You go and work that one out. He waited two days. Was he grounded in the Word of God? Absolutely it was grounded in the Word of God. You say, well, how do you know it is grounded in the Word of God? Well, let me take you to one more passage in the Bible which I think you'll find interesting. Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50. This is a messianic uh, passage here. And if we look at Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4, he says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak. A word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. So when he spoke, he speaks the word of God. When he speak, whenever he spoke to his disciples, whenever he spoke to Mary and Martha, whenever he spoke to anybody, it's the word of God. So was what he did grounded in the word of God? Yes, it was. Did it bring joy and peace? 
You betcha, after that they had a big feast. They were joyful and peaceful. Four tests. My question to you this morning then is, are you walking by faith or are you walking by sight? But how do we do this? We must know the Word of God to do this. You must know the Word of God. I said it so often when I got saved, the Lord gave me a hunger for the Word. I couldn't get enough and I still can't get enough. I still can't. I want more. You want more? I want more of the Word. So are you walking this morning by faith or by sight? Are you what you are doing today, here, going to do tomorrow? Whatever you do to the glory of God, is it? Are you working for the glory of God? Secondly, are you willing to wait on God in your situation? Are you willing to wait? Or when the first trouble comes, do you want to make a beeline? Run away? Or do your own thing? Thirdly, is what you're going to do grounded in the Word of God? Is it grounded? And look, I'm not saying make up your mind and then find a scripture that proves what you're going to do. You know people do that? I know a lot of people, they go like, Lord, I want this thing so desperately. Lord, oh, I want this. Oh, I'm going to cry about this and I'm going to continue on like this. Oh, Lord, I want this. Ah, yes, Lord. For they have all been delivered to death. Oh, dear. No, I can't have it, Lord. Don't be like that. God is not a lucky packet God. Do you know what a lucky packet is? No. Oh, you don't. In South Africa, it's a small bag which was filled with goodies, lollies, and stuff in there. We called it a lucky packet. <laughs> and then what happens is you don't know what's on the inside. You just see this, this bag, and somebody gives you the bag. You don't know what's in there. You open it up. Oh, you know, there's a surprise. God is not that. Is what you're going to do grounded in the Word of God. And finally, friend... Is what you're going to do giving you peace that surpasses understanding and joy. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for this time that we had in your word.